0: Navigating the Datascape with Chris Presley and special guests. Welcome to episode 14 of the Datascape podcast. I'm your host, Chris Presley. Today, we're going to continue talking about the evolution of the DBA career, specifically as it pertains to automation. Today, we're under more pressure than ever to automate our tasks this is driven by cloud-first initiatives and the need to increase development velocity as well as other practices such as Agile and DevOps. Today as DBAs, we need to know more languages than ever. We need to know more platforms than ever. We need to do more work, or rather be more productive than ever. And this means we also have to change our approach. So we have uh, joining us today, we have Derek Downey, who is the practice advocate at Pythian who will represent open source technologies. We have Warner Chavez, an internal principal consultant at Pythian and Microsoft MVP, who will represent SQL Server. And we have Bjorn Rost, who is an internal principal consultant at Pythian and Oracle ACE and a member of the brand new program, the Oracle Developer Champion Program, representing the Oracle Database. Welcome to the show, fellas. Thank you, Chris. Happy to be here.
1: Happy to be here. Thanks, Chris. Awesome to be back. Thanks, Chris.
0: Great to have you guys all back. Let's start with you, Derek. What are you automating today that you weren't automating five years ago? For me,
2: as an open source DBA, a lot of the tests that I was automating five years ago were done I was automating them the operational tests. but what they were were custom ad hoc scripts. So what's changed for me is primarily better frameworks around orchestration of these tasks. To make it easier to a generalize those those tasks instead of just the custom aspect of it, and b be able to manage more and more servers with less effort. So it's the the capabilities of you know the operational tasks, backups and restores, refreshing, failing forward, automating our upgrades, things along those lines. I was I would say I was doing that five years ago as custom scripts, but now I've been able to implement them better, more resilient, and more robust uh, tasks through these tools that have been created.
0: So could you, um, before we move on, uh, could you outline uh, a couple of those tasks or give an example?
2: So let's, let's take the example of a backup and restore refreshing. Five years ago, I would probably be targeting one script on one server that I have a backup running on, um, writing probably a bash script that I could take the backup, copy it over to a different server, restore it, do some validation against it, and call it good. But that was very custom and and specific there, and now I can kick that off with maybe a a chat script where I can check the progress on the server without having to log in, make sure that it validated, came back, anything that went wrong, I get alerted to. So integrations, I think, are a big improvement in the last uh, five years, so... That's just one example where I'm absolutely sure that my DBA or that my backup is a valid backup and I don't have to take it on,
1: on
0: chance. Okay. okay. Bjorn, how about you? How, 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 is, how is it in Oracle
1: land? So things that I have done five years ago that I don't do anymore is, especially on provisioning, that has changed a lot for me where today I just don't provision things on the command line on actual service anymore and it was quite frightening. The other day, I was actually trying to add an IP address or install a package manually on a Linux box. And I realized I don't even know these commands anymore because I'm so used to putting these things into scripts and installing packages through scripts, setting up things through scripts, creating users through scripts. So um, the provisioning is something that has dramatically changed for me. When I set up new servers today, I don't I don't execute any commands on a server anymore other than calling a script or using an automation tool to uh, provision the software on service.
0: Okay, wow. And, and what about in the Windows world, Warner?
3: I think the the landscape is very similar in terms that uh, everything now, most of the creation and destruction of resources, in this case databases, most of that is, is we try to automate it as much as possible nowadays, right? Obviously in the cloud, it's just native that you do it that way. But with virtualization now mainstream everywhere, Most people just script out now installations and deployment of servers and systems, right? Operational tasks, we try to obviously automate as much as possible. And things like, you know, once upon a time, for example, at least in the SQL server space, maintenance plans, the ones that Microsoft would ship would be the default thing that we would use, right? The little boxes about like you pick the backups that you want to run and the maintenance that you want to run. Nobody uses that anymore, right? Everybody uses some sort of scripted solution that is way more flexible, and customizable nowadays. And and all those things lead to what uh, the other fellows were discussing, especially Derek is, you know, we we are required to do more with less time, right? Manage more servers with uh, less time. So we have to be more efficient, right?
0: Right, right. And for the three of you, how has this affected your job satisfaction? Has it impacted it negatively or positively? You know, how's it affecting your day to day?
3: Who wants to go first? I'll go, go first. To, to, to be honest, if you like coding, then obviously you're going to like it. We have to keep in mind that automation is, is not for everybody. Some people just don't like coding this type of stuff. They like the databases. They 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 also felt like being a DBA was doing things directly to the databases. So when they start automating these things, they feel a little bit less like a DBA and more like just like a, a developer, right? Or more like a system in type of role. Right. So for myself personally, I, I pretty much enjoy it because, you know, I get to practice and, and uh, keep my coding skills uh, refreshed. But uh, I know some colleagues for sure that they don't particularly enjoy it because they they have this perception in their mind of what a DBA is supposed to do. And they kind of see that uh, being eroded now through the
1: automation of our work. Okay. How about you, Bjorn? It suits me really well. I have a very short attention span and a very low tolerance to doing the same thing two, three, four, five times. At at that time, I just get bored, and that's when I start making mistakes. And I like automating tasks and putting them into scripts and even learning new technologies, right? There are different frameworks for automation out there, and I like learning new ones and using them because it does keep me on the edge in terms of doing these things that otherwise I or some some poor other guy would be repetitively, repetitively, well, doing repetitively.
0: (laughs) Okay, good stuff. And and Derek, how about you? Day-to-day? Happier, so I, sadder.
2: Uh, I, I really resonate with what Bjorn was saying. Um, I would be what I call a lazy DBA, where I don't want to be doing some of these operational tasks over and over and over again manually. So the more that I can script them, the better. And, and the, the added benefit to me is I no longer am a, a single point of failure. I build documentation into my scripts so that anybody can come and understand what's going on so that relieves a lot of stress for me
0: okay so uh, what i heard from all three of you is that it's it it drives your pers- your personal satisfaction because it you know you're taking away the things you don't want to do and and you enjoy the challenge what uh, other than that what else has been influencing your or driving the need to to automate are there other factors other than uh, your personal ones warner
3: I think a big factor is the the cost of uh of mistakes nowadays as well right as as we manage these systems and companies become more dependent on these uh big revenue generating systems operational tasks where somebody just did something wrong they put in the wrong command line or they clicked the wrong thing on management studio or things like this uh where you know the human factor was the the trigger for the incident it's it's very very costly right so we are pushed. To automate, not just because we have to be more productive, but also because our error rate has to be smaller as we keep on working on systems that start getting more and more and more costly if they go down, right? Any sort of mistake can be very, very expensive.
1: Okay. D- do you agree with that, Bjorn? Yes. And on top of that, I would also say there, there are certain drivers, right? Cloud has just, is just showing how things can be done. They show how you can provision a system with the click of a button and how you can automate things. And... um companies culture and it's also dictating that like developers want access to better faster refreshes of test databases. it's not good enough to just refresh a te- database once a month or once a quarter you want to have these things within two or three minutes you want your unit tests to run on fresh sets of data quickly so that's another push like cloud shows it's possible agile and the way organizations work and develop code and software products these days are dictating what needs to be done and then luckily we now have the tools that allow and enable these kinds of automational tasks so much better than, than five or 10 years ago.
0: Derek, do you think that that if we do these things, we're going to automate ourselves out of a job as DBAs?
2: Absolutely not. I mean, we if if we were scared of being automated out of the job and doing these backup restores manually, we need to find a different position, a different career anyway. Um, there's plenty of things out there that DBAs need to know and to keep up to on and, and our expertise that requires human understanding, you can't automate that away. Being able to apply performance tuning, like query analysis, these type of tasks, people will, will always need to be involved with. And there's so many variables that you cannot just um, capture all of them. And it makes automating everything impossible. So that's why you okay. need that human human understanding of, of what's going on and you won't need to get rid of that.
0: Okay. So uh, if I was a DBA manager and my DBAs come to me in my team meeting smiling and say, Hey, we've, we've just automated uh, 70% of our, of, of our daily tasks, you know, I shouldn't be planning uh, a staff reduction.
2: I wouldn't say that you should be identifying where you can grow your business
3: maybe you could maybe you should uh, though right it depends on if you hire them all just for operational skills and suddenly they automated 70 percent of their tasks maybe you can get rid of one right that's how this capitalism depends on how well they can be valuable for something else
1: or maybe and that's the other thing too is if, if your dbas automated all of your dba work and you don't have operational troubles there anymore find something else in your organization that needs uh, these same principles applied because that, to me, is, is another big aspect of this is that we bring like DevOps brings together so many different things. There's programming, operations, architecting stuff that um, there's probably not much room for a person who says, my only job is to be a DBA, to add data files and to restart a yeah, system when it's down. Absolutely. But well, there's so much opportunity for people that look left and right and know these other disciplines.
2: Yeah, I was just going to add on to Bjorn had mentioned earlier about how developers Want access to do some of these things, and the role of VBA as gatekeeper is is diminishing, and so we need to find ways to collaborate with other other groups more and more, and we can only do that if we remove a lot of the manual low value tasks from our day to day.
0: Right, right, okay. So Warner touched on something earlier that I I wanted to run with, and I'm I'm thinking back to uh, last year when. Uh, uh, basically, a typo in a command took down, you know, Amazon's S3 storage and a big chunk of of the internet. Are there? What are the pitfalls of automation, and/or are there things that we should not be automating, Bjorn?
1: Well, certainly, the more you automate and the more control you put into scripts, the you just increase the size of the gun that you can shoot yourself in the foot with, which is what happened at Amazon, I think. I think that might just be a side effect. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take that as criticism and say there's, a, there's one incident. Let's not do it because Amazon would not be at the size it is currently and operate in the way it is operating without automation. So, to pick one incident where something was done not great, and to say that's, um, that's a good example of not automating things is absolutely wrong. Amazon would not be Amazon. They wouldn't even be in a position to make mistakes like that if they hadn't automated uh, pretty much everything that they do.
0: Yeah, and and to be clear, I'm not picking on Amazon. I'm picking on the uh, the event itself. The fact no, that it's, the, it's such a they, big you know, cloud provider. There should be yeah. more. I'm surprised there aren't more outages like that from all cloud providers. So I, I think it's a testament of good work.
3: I think it's a, good, it's a good lesson for the rest of the internet, really. Because if you look at what the incident was, it was a typo that pretty much made the script take away more servers than it should have. So they wanted to remove some servers out of an S3 pool. And the typo removed way more service than they should have. So it's it's actually I guess the, the there's a lesson there is that we you can definitely automate when when you're automating something that is destructive, you probably want to have some sort of control as well to avoid self destruction, right? It seems like that was what the script didn't have, right? It's the the danger of uh automating so much that also it might be that it's it's difficult to even stop the process once it starts, right? It uh, took them hours to come back out of that uh, that particular outage, right? So I think it's it's two things. first of all, make sure that if you're destroying things when through your automation that you do have some kind of like fail safes. and also is, you can't automate something that you don't understand hundred percent right So definitely if anybody's starting an automation project, if you're gonna pick something that is going to be destructive in its behavior, you definitely need to understand it really well before you actually script it. You don't want to script the wrong behavior into something that's going to delete things, right?
2: Right, right. Yeah, exactly right. I just think that the big thing to understand about automating things is it's very powerful. And you can use that for great good or (laughs) great, you know, destruction. But the point is that exactly as Warner says, we need to be implementing fail-safes in there and learning lessons from some of these giants out here who are facing the issues and then they're visual like they're they're publicizing what went wrong and how they resolve it so I think that's a key thing that I really loved about how Amazon handled uh, that particular incident and other companies that have had automation related issues like DigitalOcean had one in April very very similar where they deleted uh, a production database when it was meant to be q a human error again and the point is that humans are going to make errors and whether that's the human executing the task or the human that created the automation script, just that mindset. And it's not punishing the person for, for making the error. It's figuring out how to improve the process as much as possible. So it doesn't happen again.
3: Isn't that interesting how, how that culture has changed like what you were just mentioning Derek like in now nowadays when we think about all these companies that are internet facing when there never there's an incident like this it's pretty much like everybody expects a blog post right or something t- along those lines to explain what happened but they i mean they don't really owe us an explanation right technically not but it's like kind of like expected now in high tech that if there is a big mistake that happened you sh- you should let everybody else know what happened and everybody should try to learn something from it which I think is really interesting compared to uh, older company culture where it would be like everybody, let's, you know, where's the carpet? We got to sweep this thing under, right? Well, very, very different building, nowadays.
2: Yeah, it's part of building trust, though. I mean, when you're a company that so many other businesses in, in the world depend on running and, and uptime like Amazon does, like if you have an outage like this and you don't provide details of how you fixed it and how you plan to not have this happen again. You're going to lose that trust and eventually you're going to become irrelevant. And so it's, it's a survivability thing for Amazon.
0: So, you guys mentioned another point that I wanted to run with, which is um, what are some of your automation best practices, if you will, to mitigate the risk? Because you did mention it's very powerful. And Bjorn, you mentioned you're not even running commands on a console anymore, you're running scripts. So what are you doing in your, when you're writing those scripts? How are you mitigating the risk so that it doesn't, you don't accidentally point it at 14 servers instead of one?
2: So a couple of things that I would recommend is operating on the uh, principle of least privilege. So making sure that the users that have the ability to remove a database only have it in specific environments, like a QA environment, for example, or, or whatever you have. Um, you can't do it on a production master and the other one would be, I think I learned from AWS is, is, is doing a maximum amount of services that any operation can do at one time. So you're not in danger of taking out the whole infrastructure. You at worst will do a fraction of it, whatever that fraction might be. Okay.
0: What other tips would you guys offer Warner?
3: Same thing, basically. Yes, a lot of it's based on security. Obviously, you don't run if if your script only needs to, let's say, destroy things on the dev environment. You just need a principle that has only access to that. As well, that you know, sometimes uh, we see these incidents where it's like, oh, if somebody from their developer laptop was able to nuke the production environment. Well, there's a network issue there as well, right? Try to segment everything so it doesn't happen. Verify, you know, as much as possible through your scripts. Kind of like what we do at Pythian, right? The the FitAcer, verify it's the right place, it's the right time, it's the right server, and so on, right? Uh, Don't just uh, go in, write the tasks that you want, but you definitely want to add a little bit of automated steps to actually verify uh, that you're running it in the right place, yeah.
1: Okay, I, I also like to architect my things so that I can quickly set them up again or quickly recover. Not recover, but just build it again. Like that's easy for systems that don't say store state, like web service, application servers. These things can usually be easier, easier to, re- to recreate them than to restore them and to fix an error. So I like to think about that. That doesn't work so well with databases where you have data in them and you can't just throw them away and start from scratch. And in that case, I really like to use dry run modes, so like when I just run my automation scripts in dry run mode, see that um, whatever it would report as this is what I would be doing is something that I would expect. Also, what I have done, I've, I've had a few clients that were very, very hesitant to implementing these technologies. And then I told them, well, use these tools. Don't If you don't trust them yet, don't use them to implement anything. Just let them print out the commands that they would execute for you. And if it makes you feel any better copy and paste them execute them manually to the systems where you want to have them executed and then just check at the end of your maintenance that the state of your system is now the state that the system would expect
0: okay that that's good advice um now go go. sorry go ahead Warner
3: No, I was going to say that that reminds me like a few years ago when they introduced uh, a script button in Management Studio. And it was like, we've been telling DBAs all the time. Well, if you want to do stuff through the GUI, do it through a GUI and then press the script as button and then save the script and then reuse it. Right. So that's just kind of funny because it's true. You can just do baby
1: steps. It's like,
3: you don't have to go crazy. Just take your baby steps. It's fine.
1: Same thing in Oracle Enterprise Manager. Where you have the GUI and some of the things it does, I had no idea how to do it manually. But you click on the button, you say "Show SQL," and it shows you the commands that it would do. Uh, it would run, and you can you can even learn from that. Yeah.
0: Uh, what about in open source land? Uh, I guess we'll point at maybe MySQL. Derek, is it same deal? Is there a button that tells you? We don't use GUIs.
2: <laughs> the simple answer is uh, is that, but I, I and we have a reticence about GUIs because we don't necessarily understand the underlying commands that they are executing. And it's very easy to misclick, and the power that that provides again, human error and the automation that the GUI provides has to be used with good understanding and being very focused on what you're doing and not making mistakes there.
0: Right. Okay. Let's, uh, let's flip this a little bit. Let's say that I'm a DBA manager at um, a large company acme financial and i'm a, a dba manager but i'm not a dba and i've got a team of dbas and it doesn't matter what platforms they're responsible for how do i measure success if i'm not a dba as a manager of dbas how do i measure success in my team how do i what is what is success how do i know if my team is automating what they should any ideas
3: That's a really good question. That's a really tough thing, actually. I think it is tough in terms of, you know, unless you want to really micromanage what they're doing. Obviously, you can tell by the turnaround of their deliverables, right? If you tell somebody to just, you know, set me up two or three servers and it takes them like two days to do it, then, you know, this doesn't take two days to set up two or three servers, right? So definitely, but at that point, you have to be familiar with how long it's taking. So I think it's good homework, actually, for an IT manager to get familiar with how long the tasks are taking for their current DVAs and see if they're really they're really taking that uh, that time as effective time or they're just, you know, yeah, I'll add a few days here and there uh, to a deliverable. But in general, it's definitely it's a definitely good question. You would need some sort of instrumentation, I would say, on what tasks they're doing and how much time it's taking for them. And uh, good know-how of what would be the expected time for those tasks.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I would say clear objectives of what you want in your team to be doing um, and measure, keeping them accountable. I mean, it's just managing any other team. It is just understanding what the objectives are for the team and, and are they m- matching them. And you can adjust and iterate on your objectives as you get better information. But you definitely have a way to... You need to have a way to define your goals and your objectives and a way to measure if if your team is making it.
1: And like Warner said, you will probably see the biggest outcome in the turnaround time of repetitive tasks. If you ask them to do the same thing a hundred times, that's something that a, a team that embraces automation should be able to do quickly for you. And then the, the really hard part, though, I think, is distinguishing hard work from good work. We have this culture mm-hmm. of rewarding hard work, people that pull all-nighters and that um, or that will work all true. weekend to get something done, we reward them because those are the heroes to us. Those are the guys that, uh, the troopers, the people that actually put in lots and lots of work. And then you might have somebody who is a lot quieter and uh, goes home on Friday around lunchtime because his job is done. And the mistake that we keep making in IT is that we keep rewarding these heroes that work hard and we don't recognize the guys that do an excellent job. And But that's the core of your question, really. That's really hard to see because it's you, know, you actually have to look at the quality of of the output of that whatever the person's producing
0: okay okay um and and let's uh let's talk about the job market does this make it easier for uh, me to hire dbas harder for me to hire dbas should i hire more developers and throw them on my dba team
3: i think it's a really tricky situation right now in the job market actually because basically these skills are now kind of like expected right nobody's hiring a dba anymore that will just come in and do everything manually. Or I think definitely that's not the expectation. So it means that definitely the bar is still you know, just one step above. Because not only has to be a good DBA, obviously, to know what to automate, but they have to be good now at actually automating it themselves, right? So I think it is a harder job market for people that are looking for these skills. Definitely a good job market if you are a DBA with these skills.
0: Okay. Bjorn, what question would you ask? In, in, what questions would you add to your filtering and interview process to, to try and find these people?
1: Oh, it's, it's really questions that are, I would say, geared towards the mindset. I would like to get into the, the thinking process of somebody. But asking a question about something that has nothing to do with the core technology of what they're doing, like if they're applying for an Oracle job, ask them a SQL Server question and see if, how they would dissect it, how they would go on about approaching it. Or just ask them any other question that is not related to anything in Oracle that they could kill with knowledge, but that they would actually have to demonstrate that they have the 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 right kind of mindset to apply thinking to dissect a problem and solve it, I think.
0: Okay, what about you Derek? what What would types of questions would you ask the uh, the candidates to ensure the proper automation mindset? I would actually
2: ask them to describe some of the environments that they actually have managed in the past and how they did it, like the complexity, the size, the scale out. What were some of the, the tasks that they had to do to solve some of those issues to get a sense of whether they did it. It's not so much about the technology that they used because there's so many out there. It's just about how, how much experience they have in, in trying to solve these type of complex issues.
0: Okay. And with three very different platforms, I'm not expecting much synergy for tools. But Warner, what what is uh, what's your go-to automation tool of choice?
3: Oh, well, nowadays, power on, on the Windows landscape, PowerShell is like a required required skill at this point. If you don't know PowerShell and you're in this in this side of the world, then you got to start learning it. And and by by association, some familiarity with .NET is definitely. Very, very important because PowerShell consumes .NET objects, right? So the more you're familiarized with .NET framework classes and, and usually what is applied to them, then the better your PowerShell is going to be, because eventually you're going to run out of things that might PowerShell might not do, but there is a .NET class that might do. So it's not uncommon to mix both of them. So definitely PowerShell and a little bit of uh, .NET would not hurt.
0: Yeah. Okay. And what about in the Oracle platform?
1: I would start very close by, not, not even venture too far off, but just look at some of the commands that Oracle has introduced that make your life easier. I still see people like, like I had the example of duplicating database before and people are still doing that by running 20 commands and uh, doing a restore, recover, changing parameters manually and then doing 10 more steps instead of doing the, using the duplicate command, which does all of these things in, in one. So one thing is embrace these things that already exist. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. And then when I when I leave the Oracle world, I um, I like using Ansible right now. That's um, one of the tools that I enjoy for setting up anything from standardized playbooks of how to set up systems, but also just um, ad hoc things. Like if I want to fire five commands, so like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, if I want to install a package, I don't SSH to the system and type yum install package. I write a small playbook that does the installation of the package for me.
0: Okay, and what about in the open source world?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's... Config management systems like Puppet and Chef, and the orchestration system like Bjorn was mentioning in Ansible. These are the ones that I, I see a lot in in our industry. And if you're talking about programming languages, and not just tools, both of these are Python and Ruby. So I don't think you can go wrong in and knowing one of those tools or one of those languages.
0: Okay. If there was um, one thing that you wish you could automate today, but you can't, what what is that thing? And we'll just go backwards. Derek, how about you?
2: Self-healing I think is mine because a lot of the times I have a whole lot of servers and I can automate some things. Some pages will come in and I can automate those, but I have to be very, very cautious about what type of self-healing I do. Um, to make sure I don't do the wrong thing for the wrong reason.
0: So it's not that I
2: can't necessarily do it, but it is very time intensive to analyze it appropriately.
0: Okay. And what about in the Oracle world, Bjorn?
1: I, uh, one thing that I enjoy doing is troubleshooting performance issues. And I would love to have or build myself a uh, framework or a toolkit that could reproduce some of the nastier performance issues that I've seen. And it's it's not, the, I guess the tools to do that are out there I mean I have everything I need it's just that every problem is different so you have to be able to set up all the circumstances all the environments correctly to be able to reproduce and that's a lot of effort if you just want to use this for it for example for training so I haven't come around to doing this and that's something that I would uh, I would I would love to have
0: okay and what about in the windows windows world
3: I don't think it's much in the Windows world, for more just me personally. Like database design refactoring, for example, sometimes we go in and uh, we have to analyze a schema, and you have to suggest things. And there's really, it's really hard to automate that kind of thing, right? Because it, it doesn't usually a, a database design doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? We don't, we can't just look at it by itself and say this is good or it's bad, right? We have to understand the use case. We have to understand how it's being queried. We have to understand. N- how it's being queried in the majority of the time to decide if something is good or bad in terms of what we're going to get out of it. And there's so many factors you have to think of, right? For refactoring, like are we refactoring for performance? Are we refactoring to make it easier to change down the line? Are we refactoring so that we can introduce a new feature easier? So all these things, I mean, that would be nice to automate at least part of that analysis. But then at the same time, I think well. That's uh, something that it, again it requires a lot of experience and intuition. I find that it might be it might take a few years before that kind of thing is actually automated.
2: That would make it really easy to to automate migration from SQL Server to to MySQL, for example. If we could do that,
3: not just that, but even like to products completely. Like we were just talking about Spanner the other day you know, how Spanner is relational, Google's product, but it's not really, you can't really just migrate one-to-one because there's some difference in designing how databases work there, right? So uh, tools that will be able to understand databases, not just in the physical sense, but in the logical sense will be very, very valuable. But like I said, I don't. I just don't see that being automated in the near future. Yeah, I
0: agree. Do you, do you see from an, uh, trends in automation, do you think that we will have a uniform language anytime soon?
3: across your three platforms oh well you can do bash on windows now but i don't know if windows uh admins are going to start uh, migrating all their powershell scripts on bash obviously in your open source or oracle you guys can just agree on using uh, some sort of linux scripts and that's it unless uh, be... except for the two clients that oracle bion has their run oracle on windows <laughs> i wouldn't be surprised
2: if there is a, a plugin library for python and all three services
3: could be, could be, yeah. Okay. Actually, Python is a good, uh, if I had to automate something today for all three platforms, I would probably go with Python.
0: So let's talk to the junior DBA who might be listening to this podcast and he or she might be terrified. You know, they grew into the DBA role, liked it, love it, but they haven't automated a lot. Maybe they probably know SQL pretty well, but maybe don't have strong programming in other in other languages. And, you know, they're worried about the future. How do they get started? Where, where do they, what should they learn and where do they start? It depends on the type of the DBA. Like if they're automate,
2: like their operations DBAs, then start learning the different tools to automate these. Ansible, Puppet, Chef. Don't do all three, pick one and, and see how it's being used and, and how you can do it. I, I would suggest Ansible because of the orchestration capabilities across many, many different servers. But if you're a if you're the the data schema developer for for a company, figure out I would say the the data pipeline and how you can transition maybe a little bit more into understanding how uh, more of the the big data the companies want to analyze how that pipeline looks from generation to the reports and analysis that that are so important to companies nowadays.
0: Right. Right. Okay.
1: I would say don't obsess about one tool or one language because it's really the mindset that matters and being able to figure out something quickly as you go i've worked with puppet chef ansible knowing one good enough is um is, is a good gateway to learning the other ones too and the similar for programming languages i think if you're if you're good or if you're sufficient in any kind of procedural language the other languages, at least reading code and setting up I mean, let's not kid ourselves. We're not writing gigantic enterprise applications here. We're not software developers. We are talking about using development tools and some programming languages to automate what still in the bigger sense is small scripts. So if it's Perl, Python, to me, .bash doesn't really matter. As long as you get the principle of how programming works and how to learn a new language, I think that's more important than becoming an expert at any one of them. Right.
0: Do you have anything to add,
1: Warner?
3: All I say is that the internet is full of good and bad scripts. So always test whatever you're going to run before you actually run it on your real systems. Because I mean, I can type anything, any task that comes to mind script on Google and it's going to come up with something. But you don't really know if it's going to be something good or something bad. And if you do find a good one, I think everybody here probably does the same thing. You have your own little script repository and save it so that you don't have to go... Find it and don't reinvent warm water. Definitely search first and don't start uh, coding from scratch. Something that somebody else already coded for you.
0: Right, right. And I would suggest also, you know, sharing your scripts with your DBA team. You know, and talking about them together. Share the like like we share when we have a problem and sorry, an outage. You know, sharing the scripts with the rest of the team and having everyone you know improve them.
1: And honestly, Um, that is the best thing that can happen. Is I think the Best feeling or feedback I can get from from doing this kind of work is somebody else using reusing the scripts that I used or started and improving them and using them. That's the best feedback you can get in in automation or in this kind of DevOpsish world.
0: Yeah, it's humbling though, right? To to throw your code out there, you're 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 expressing potentially some vulnerability because uh, you know someone's going to take it apart. It's not like writing a, a paragraph.
3: And there's um, always somebody that has an opinion. That's another thing that you have to get over, right? Like if you code something, you script something, you want to put it on GitHub or it's public, there's going to be somebody out there that's going to think it's crap, unfortunately. That's just how the internet works, right? So you just you know, you don't have to worry too much about it. Unless, like if somebody points out a bug, then obviously you go out and fix it. But you're not, never going to be able to please everybody, right? So you shouldn't even worry about that.
0: And So listeners, there's one thing that, that's been consistent over the podcast with all three of these guests and actually every other guest when we talk about learning something just get started just just do it get in there pick one and learn it whether it's a language or a technology get out there get started and get the experience and then you will be able to move into and expand and and broaden and we've had that in almost every episode when we talk about learning something well i think we've covered automation at least in a general way fairly well gentlemen so i think uh given that you've all been through the lightning round i've got a a different plan for for this podcast and that's to uh, beta test a lightning round question. Are you guys game to each answer one question, a new one? Do it. Yes. (laughs) All right. So we'll go, we'll start uh, with you, Derek. What is the last song that you rocked out to? I'm talking rocked out to in the car and uh, where people are wondering what, if that guy's having a seizure.
2: I am still standing from the sing album with my kids is is what i last rocked out to it was awesome
1: <laughs> nice how about you bjorn Oh, uh, it was guns N' roses weekend here on the radio station last week and i think it was paradise city oh good one good one
3: and warner um i uh went uh, with my wife last weekend actually to see muse live the british band alternative rock it's great 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 show the resistance is probably one of their best songs definitely memorable so that was a good time
0: good good stuff All right, folks, that's all we had. uh, That's all the time we have today, folks. Do you have a question or concern about the DBA career? We're going to continue talking about the evolution in future episodes, and I could really use your feedback. Send me your questions, your comments, your concerns to datascapedocast at gmail.com. And remember, the biggest compliment you can give us is to tell a friend or write us a review on iTunes. Thanks, and have a great day in the Datascape. Navigating the data scape.